everybody, and welcome back to the Incomparable Game Show. This game, which we're calling Tales of Glen, is a storytelling game. And the way it works is that everybody is going to be prompted to tell a story for about five minutes. They're going to be given a story prompt by the person who precedes them in the playing order. And then as they go, they have to improvise a story. Now, you'll find that the other participants in the game will be able to interrupt the storyteller and make suggestions or corrections. You won't hear this as we go, but there's a game mechanic behind that. Everybody is given, in this case, five credits at the beginning of the game which they can use to spend on interrupting a story and making a suggestion. If you're telling the story and you want to reject that person's suggestion, you can do so by countering and giving them one of your own credits. This is all happening behind the scenes. It's not really going to matter as it goes. The only thing that matters is that at the end, when we pick a winner, the uh, everybody on the panel gets to choose what their favorite story was, and they get to give the coins that they've earned, the credits that they've earned to the person who they think told the best story. The storyteller with the most credits after everybody has awarded their credits, which you can't do to yourself, is our winner. So this is a game, but it sounds like a series of stories, wild stories about Glenn. (laughs) The tales that Glenn Fleischman tells us in many podcasts are uh, amazing. He seemingly has been everywhere, done everything. And is not directly, usually, but indirectly related to everyone in some way. Truly, it is amazing. And that is what's brought us here tonight, to discuss some of the amazing tales of Glenn and his accomplishments and things that he's done in the world. Joining me to talk about Glenn and tell tales of Glenn are the following wonderful people. In the order in which tales will be told, David J. Lore, hello. Hello, I'm I'm really excited to try our first game of Glenprovisation. Yes, we'll call it that. I will go next because I was randomly selected at random.org by going next. Following me will be Mr. Dan Morin. Hi, Dan. Was you dad, Jason? That is a deep cut. Sorry. Yeah, he was. <laughs> no, no, that was incorrect. That well, was incorrect. Well, I went with Cool Cat. I was and, going for the Baron Munchausen deep uh, cut, but it's too deep. Oh, don't say, the, don't say those, deep. That, those words. This is nothing like Baron Munchausen. Nothing. Uh, it's, in fact, a. Uh, it's an actual, it's a dude. Yeah. I'm sure. He's um, probably out there somewhere. And Brian Hamilton. We'll follow Dan. Hi, Brian. Raccoons! Okay, good. <laughs> Good. Well, I I suspect we may be getting more of that. Um, Now, normally how this works is the first person to have the uh, have the uh, the floor. Hey, hey, hey guys, what's going on? Oh, who invited invited Glenn to Glenn's own episode? It wasn't wasn't me. I I saw I saw Glenning in Skype. I thought it had something Uh to do with me. What's happening? Mm. I guess we can let him in. I, I was promised no Glenn in this episode. I didn't I, know there was a podcast tonight. I'm sorry. I was on the phone with Marla Maples, and you know she's got a <laughs> lot of interesting things to say, mostly about raccoon husbandry. That's what I call her about because you know I've got this big paddock outside. Uh, had it built well, by a friend of you, mine. You know she was once married to a, a raccoon, so that makes sense. <laughs> it's well, true. a guy well, under the, a raccoon. The raccoon is yeah. The guy is under the raccoon. That's right. So uh, I guess Glenn, then you since you since you made it, then you should probably start us off and. And suggest what uh, what tale of yourself that David should tell. So, David, I know you were surrounded with uh, dolls as a child. Um, this is a well known fact. This is a fact. It's not this, this is true. 
is that turns out grew up, grew up in a doll museum surrounded by dolls at all times, staring at you, looking at you, reading you books, um, artificially keeping you young, as we all know, since you're actually 107. But, you know, don't look a day over 30. Uh, but I'm really curious about the time that uh, you may not remember this, but in your childhood, uh, my car broke down outside the museum and um, I pulled up. And when I got inside, all the dolls were missing. And you had a really remarkable explanation for what happened because, you know, it's a doll museum, no dolls. Can you tell people about that? Well, I mean, you have to send them out every now and then to be cleaned, right? I mean, that's just basic doll maintenance. So that's why the museum was officially closed the day your, your car broke down there. Uh, but fortunately – you were able to stay a couple of days because the doll museum really intrigued you and your family. You were just like, why is there this doll museum in the middle of Florida? I mean, Disney World is right up the road. Stars Hall of Fame is right up the road. Circus World is right up the road. Who would come to a doll museum when you have all of that? So, you know, fortunately, you were able to stay and see what was so special about this. And so we, we got all the, the dolls back from the doll cleaners. I mean, that's like five trucks worth at least. And... The, the the beauty of it, this this was the part that really freaked you out. Kind of freaked me out, too. We have this case that was like in the center of the museum. You know, you'd kind of take the tour and you'd see all these these dolls, the German dolls, the China head dolls, the composition, the wood, all this, all these wonderful things. German, you say? German. But, but in the German section, there was this one doll that looked just like you. You had no idea we had that. And that might be what it's kind of like salmon rushing upstream to spawn to, you know, not knowing where they're going, but they get there. That's what drew you to the museum. And then you switched places with the doll. Now, David, I feel like you're you're leaving out an important part of this story, which is why Glenn was sent to the doll museum by uh, a, a means of somebody not directly related to him, but somewhat indirectly related to him on a mission you know, before we go further with your story, if you can recall that part of it, I think that's one of the key tenets of this story. I suspect he was there to infiltrate the German section of the dolls because you never know what German <laughs> dolls are planning. They're they're shifty. All right, fair enough. But but who but who sent him? I think is the most important, the salient point. Well, about that's it. that's a good question. I I don't think I ever found out. David, I'm confused about one minor detail of your story. Uh, I was wondering only one. What was Glenn's outfit when he was uh, replacing the doll? Because in my mind, I'm imagining like a cute little Glenn in like a sailor suit with like the uh, patchy rosy cheeks. Like, what was his outfit? How did he get it? Like, did he have a custom doll tailor? Oh. No, that that was his actual outfit. When he replaced the doll, he was wearing lederhosen and a little Tyrolean hat and these clogs, which was weird because they're Dutch. I don't know why he had that. All right. Well, anyway, continue with your story. Well, he, he infiltrated the, the German dolls and somehow smashed a plan that they were they were plotting to take over Disney World. I mean, that's what you got to do. You got to you got to try and take over the the nearest amusement park theme park competition. I mean. Not that there was much competition. We didn't have rides. We just had, you know, dolls. Um, now, the farm uh, equipment museum next to us had rides. They had an old-fashioned merry-go-round, and, and Glenn and I were, rode on that for a little while. It's one where you just sort of spun it and it, it just sort of dangling things with horses on them, and, and we both flew off, and uh, that's a whole other story. But, uh, but yeah, he, he broke up the German plan. And uh, saved Disney World. Now, was this Glenn as the doll or Glenn in the, the the Glenn doll that had 
replace Glenn in real life. Oh, it was the Glenn doll that, that replaced Glenn in real life. We don't know what actually happened to the real Glenn. I don't either. I'm, I have no idea. I have no memories of that period except a <laughs> hazy memory of, of a reflection of um, what seemed like a flying horse. Uh, I, I'm not sure if you can explain that or not. Well, that's, you know, it's probably the concussion from when you flew off the merry-go-round. <laughs> oh, I was riding the horse. You're right. That's right. That's right. See? It all comes back to me. Now, David, pardon me for suggesting such a thing, but it seems to me that when you lived at the Doll Museum, you were fairly young, and and Glenn is not that much older than you, and therefore, how could Glenn even drive to the Doll Museum if he was a young child? Well, he was with uh, the the family that his family knew, because not just Glenn, his whole family knows other families. It's really kind of impressive. You could say it runs in his family. And were they were those families allowing him to drive the car as a as a uh, a, a preteen? Oh, I don't know. That seems kind of dangerous. But maybe it is Florida after all. All right, fair enough. David, is there more to your story? <laughs> oh, I'm sure there is, but I I can't remember cuz I had a concussion too. <laughs> right. Well, don't bravo. tell them about the ghost or- bravo. Don't tell them about the ghost orchid. Bravo. That's for later. Oh, da- David, the ghost orchid. Yes. I, I, I think we all enjoyed your story. Someone had to. Do you have? Is there a story that you would like to hear from one of us? Well, funny you should mention. I seem to recall that on a on a layover in Oahu, Glenn invented the concept of pineapple on pizza. Can you tell me if that's true? <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I, I know this. I know this. So, so Glenn, um, well known as a pizza aficionado. We all know that. Glenn loves pizza. It's probably the thing he likes most in the world is pizza. And that's that, that came from a young age when Glenn, as a child, was introduced by his preschool teacher's fiance's mother at a cookout to the concept of pizza. And Glenn, Glenn's family, I don't know if you know this, but they were very strict. They, were, they had a pizza-free house, um, and it wasn't because of gluten or anything like that or because of lactose-related, cheese-related reasons. It was because Glenn's entire family was repulsed by circular food objects. <laughs> it's rare, but it does happen. And so... It does. It does. Jason, I'm confused. Were they not repulsed by the uh, pineapple and uh, pepperoni and not... <laughs> The pizza? Well, at this point, Brian, they, they were repulsed by all pizza, you see. It wasn't just... Uh, the, Glenn had not yet invented pepperoni pineapple pizza at this point. This is just in his early... For them to be repulsed by. His, right. yeah, it was, no, it was no, just were, all-inclusive circular food, right? And, you know, Kaiser exactly rolls. Right. Uh, yeah, exactly cookies, right. Oranges, uh, grapefruit. Yeah, certain pastries that were of a circular shape. Unacceptable donuts, donuts, bear claws were bagels, fine. terrifying. Exactly right. Cinnamon roll, terrible. Bear claw, it's just fine. It was something about the geometry of it. I don't really understand it. I can't claim to understand everything about the superstitions of Glenn's family. Anyway, so he had never tried pizza before. His preschool teacher's fiance's <laughs> mother had uh, had introduced the concept of pizza. At that point, Glenn um, begin a, a lifelong. Uh, habit of sneaking away from his family and and eating pizza wherever he could um and sometimes he would get away with it because he'd steal one slice from like a nearby family at a restaurant and walk back with it and since the slice was triangular it wasn't a problem nobody was afraid it was fine it was fine it had a hypotenuse 
Exactly. And uh, as long as it wasn't a circle, Glenn's family was fine. So they, 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 I think they knew what was going on, but they let him do it anyway. So Glenn, as he got into college, um, he was able to let his, uh, his freak flag fly and eat as much pizza as he wanted. And uh, people were eating circular foods all around him because college is time for experimentation. And then there was the, the, the time that Glenn was sent <laughs> to a, 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 an overseas trip by, by uh, Yale University. They, they, they sent him to Japan. And uh, Glenn was very excited about this because he was really wondering what sort of circular foods would be available in Japan that he had not been able to partake. Because, of course, in Connecticut, he had partaken of all the circular foods that there were. Uh, but there were there were other worlds oh to conquer. And so Glenn is on the flight, and there's a long layover because it's a long way from Connecticut to Japan. There's a long layover in Honolulu. And this is where it really gets good, which is Glenn has a day... <laughs> A, a day to wander the island and he goes to the north shore and he sees the surfers and while he's standing on the beach he sees somebody making a pizza and he's very excited and he strikes up a conversation with them and jason it's just, if I, yes, I hate Dan. to interrupt but i i was that person not <laughs> noted uh, hawaii music entertainer don ho well dan <laughs> oh yeah I can't believe I left out that detail. Of course it's it was. Important. Of course it was Don Ho. Don Ho was there with his mailman. <laughs> and they were admiring the North Shore surfers. As you do, it was a festival of surfing in the North Shore. The big waves were coming in. Don Ho was there. He had already performed. It, post-performance, as you do at a surfing competition, I don't know if you know this, Dan, but there is a there is a pizza mm. uh, just like uh, festival that happens. They, everybody's laying out the pizza there. So Glenn is there, and, he's, and, he, and he sees the Don Ho is working on his pizza and 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 there are other his his mailman is also working on his pizza and glenn looks at a nearby uh a stack of pineapples and has this thought to himself about i wonder i have never this is the mystery taste that i have not chased yet which is what if the pineapple went <laughs> on the pizza and it was in that moment that pineapple pizza was invented because glenn um also nearby a sword was there and i can't really go into why they have swords at surfing competitions it's a cultural thing but he 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 took the sword used the knife edge chopped the pepperoni up or the pineapple up into little bits there was a pepperoni nearby he also threw that on the pizza because that's a traditional ingredient but the pineapple was the key that was the quantum leap that was the moment where glenn thought this is a flavor i've never had with my favorite food of pizza and he spread the pepper the pepperoni and pineapple on all the pizzas there a little controversial some people were offended by this but it didn't matter glenn had a vision and you know what that was the best surfing competition ever jason i feel you're missing you're forgetting my friendship with james Dewan, which is legendary Obviously legendary, um, because it's not just not just pineapple that I put in a pizza. There's another ingredient that my friend, you know, Jimmy, introduced me to. Well, that that is, I mean, oh dear. James James Dewan introduced you to the to the pepperoni. I'm afraid, Glenn. That was that what? was that no. was the thing. Well, James, James Dewan introduced you to many things, but. We'll leave that for another yes. story. But anyway, I, I I hope you all enjoyed that. Without getting into the details of other other things, it seemed a little bit fringy to the the very specific story that Dan wanted to hear about Glenn inventing pepperoni or uh, pineapple on pizza. Uh, I hope that I've satisfied your uh, your your need for information about that. Uh, And that's my story. Canadians are really, they're known for pepperoni. It's true that when I think of Canadian ham products. Well, Glenn, I I mean, I didn't want to get into it, but the fact (laughs) is that James Dewan, as a proud Canadian, um, was always given Canadian bacon, or as they call it in Canada, 
bacon on his pizza. <laughs> and he thought that was madness. And and very at a young age, he rebelled and made it all about pepperoni instead, a more traditional ingredient that we think of. But prior to James Dewan's introduction of pepperoni in Canada, all the pizza in Canada had ham on it, which just seems crazy to us. But that's Canada, people. Canada's like that. Milk in a bag, ham on the pizza. The, the funny thing is, considering his name was Scotty, Glenn did also introduce Haggis Pizza, which was nowhere near as successful. It's true. But I, I do want to point out the reason I went to Yale is because of the pizza. The only reason you go to university in New Haven, there's no other reason to go there except for Sally and Pepe. So that, that part oh, is perfectly yes. yeah. correct. It makes sense. That is true. Story checks out. All right. Um, I think we've had enough of my tale of Glenn. Glenn, oh, by the way, he went to Japan. He had a great time. He found a lot of circular food. That's great. Um, it's not really the point of the story. There are other <laughs> stories to be told about that. Uh, but what I want to do, I'm reminded in this conversation of another great story. I am sure we all remember when Glenn traveled all the way to Scotland in order to find mm, yes. the secret hiding place of a very powerful mutant. But Dan, Morin, I think you yeah, knew this sure. story the best. Maybe you should tell it. Ah, laddie, I've heard this story so many times. <laughs> I, okay. Oh, no. There's only one way to tell it, and that's in the original Scottish. No. Uh, but I can't do it, so that's <laughs> what we're going to do. Just is translate tell it. it um, I have to translate it. And then, so bear with me, uh, because some of the words may not be quite familiar to you. I understand that. Uh, Scottish can be very peculiar. But yes, Glenn did, in fact, travel all the way to Scotland to find a particularly powerful mutant. Now... Mutants being a often hunted down, they're they're obviously in remote places for a reason. Uh, sometimes it's because they're just trying to get away from it all. But a lot of times, and as in this case, it was because the particular mutant that he was tracking down had powers that were not very good to have in large groups of people. So <laughs> this particular mutant decided to withdraw to the highlands of Scotland, where it is uh, very uh, unpopulated, uh, unless you count the sheep, which this mutant did, um, because this mutant's power involves sheep, unfortunately. Um, and it's involved particularly, um, if you were around people, it would start causing them to grow uh, basically thick, um, you know, woolen coats. Uh, and, and that's very uh, uncomfortable in a lot of places because you get very warm, it's very itchy, but when you're among sheep... It's not a problem because the sheep already have these uh, heavy woolen coats. I hate to interrupt, but you know, that's how I started my business, Glenn's Warehouse. Yes. Uh, because that's I can factor extra wool. Well, because, well you, you got there, obviously, and you noticed, you, you immediately seized upon a business opportunity um, because you thought to yourself, well, here we have all this extra wool. Uh, there is so much that we can do with this uh, that we can not only help, uh, you know, this mutant have a productive life. But we can also create warm sweaters to clothe people, um, to basically, you know, keep everybody warm in the cold Scottish winters. It gets quite very, quite damp. Uh, so a nice woolen sweater goes a long way. Now, Dan, uh, and I, I hate to interrupt, yes, yes, but Jason, no, no, please, please, please. One of the things that I think you've neglected to mention here is the, um, the relatively famous person that connected Glenn with this powerful mutant, which set Glenn on his mission to begin with. Because, of course, this mutant was connected to Glenn through a startlingly uh, famous person. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I didn't know if this particular celebrity wanted to be uh, dragged into this kind of thing, because, you know, celebrities like their privacy, and especially when it comes to mutants, eh, things can get a little bit dicey. But, of course, uh, I am I am referring to that 
that legendary, legendary actor, Sean Connery. Now, you know, Sean Connery, <laughs> he is, he's getting up in his years now, but when he was a, but a, but a wee lad, um, as, as Glenn was at the time too, I, I don't, I, the dates get a little fuzzy, uh, but that may be, that may be the wool. Um, and so Sean Connery, uh, came to Glenn Boo. and, and said to I'm him, sorry, I'm sorry, ble- I'm bleeding. I'm not booing. Uh, and said to him, you, that's right. Yep. You, you are a kind of sheep. And I need you <laughs> to help me with this particular mute. Now, Sean Connery, now, obviously. Now, be, before, before you go on, is it true that he was wearing a red monokini? It is absolutely true because Sean Connery rarely wears anything else oh, when no, he is no, no, at no, no, home I in meant, Scotland. I meant Glenn. Uh, that is a, I mean, a Connery, story for yes. another time. Story but, for another time. Let's not diverge too much here. Um, so Sean Connery and his giant stone head showed up to recruit, recruit Glenn uh, for this particular task. And Sean Connery uh, told him that, you know, essentially, uh, if you don't do this, nobody can. So uh, I need your help dealing with this particular mutant issue. Now, Glenn, for his part, I, I'm sure was all too willing to help uh, because he and, and, and Connery had this particular surprising connection that Jason alluded to before, which is that Connery's cousin's accountant's dental hygienist was actually the neighbor of glenn's preschool teacher's mother's um cobbler is now, that the same preschool that- teacher <laughs> who introduced glenn to pizza it's absolutely oh absolutely it's world really she when it comes to glenn best. was uh, she the one who was driving you in florida so uh, uh, you know knew her family so this is a huh. it, it seems convoluted okay. but you got to understand with glenn that that's just the way that the business goes and he views yeah. all of those people no matter how distantly connected they are like family and so when family calls you go and you help family so glenn joined sean connery in scotland uh where they found this mutant whose name was liam and liam was of course you know dealing with all these sheep out there and so they set up a stand in the highlands in which they could create glenn's warehouse uh and basically create these these wool suits and and dan dan just to be clear here i I think people might not understand what you're saying here is this mutant was indeed liam gallagher from oasis yeah well i mean it's again they don't like that that bandied about because it's definitely awkward on tours and noel gallagher gets very very jealous of it uh, because noel gallagher is not a mutant is it yeah, true yeah. that Liam's mother is named Mary? Because, of course, you all know Mary had a Liam, little Liam, right? Just going to go right past that. And <laughs> <laughs> You've been fleeced. Um, so here they are at their warehouse in Scotland. And um, business is good uh, because this is, you know, sweaters are very popular in Scotland. And, and everybody's pretty happy about it, uh, basically, until the day that Glenn realizes that he himself has started to sprout this thick woolen coat. And Glenn, being the consummate gentleman that he is, is not prepared to tell Liam Gallagher, look, you know, you got you to gotta rein these mutant powers in. Um, so uh, he decides, of course, that he must sell his share of Glenn's warehouse uh, and he must leave Liam and the sheep and Sean Connery in Scotland and journey back to where he came from, but not before he uh, he got to play one set with Liam Gallagher and Sean Connery in a concert that was never recorded. And sadly, 
there is no record of and they were, it. They were all wear, wearing red monokinis, were they not? <laughs> I don't want to say too much because there are some privacy issues at stake. But yes, yes, that's true. All right. Dan, is- I hate to interrupt, but uh, was it true that Glenn was playing the triangle at that concert? It was uh, that is flagrantly untrue, and I am offended that you would bring that up. You know that whole story is how I got uh, how I came up with the title for uh, a book, uh, "Do Glendroids Dream of a Eclectic uh, Sheep?" And I gave it to Philip K. Dick, but he chose to make changes, and you know, you know yeah. where that went. He's kind of a jerk. All right, uh, that was a great story, Dan. I think that's one of my favorite stories about Glenn. Uh, is there a story you would like to hear about Glenn? Oh, there is absolutely absolutely a story that i would like to hear uh and i think brian might know this story um i brian i cast your mind back and see if you can recall a story that glenn once told us uh about the time that he was in the uh i believe well up above the arctic circle and he was leading a team of reindeer across the Arctic Circle in some sort of uh, Iditarod-style race. Do you recall this story? I, I think that's that's what I remember him telling. Oh, of course I recall this. I, I even remember the incomparable we were on when uh, when he told it to us. It was episode uh, 257, mm. I believe. I and edited that part I, out, though, but the people, the, the subscribers, the members got that as a bonus track. Oh, yeah. Be- become an incomparable member to hear about this wonderful, wonderful yeah, story. Uh, but you're about to hear it again from me now. Uh, so, Glenn, I do remember you telling us about all of your uh, individual reindeer that you were uh, piloting along this race, which, uh, forgive me if I'm uh, misremembering this, but wasn't it your preschool teacher that sent hmm. you on this journey to uh, win this race to donate the funds? You were sponsored by your preschool, were you not? I truly believe that it was your, uh, it was your preschool that was uh, sponsoring this race for you to go all the way around the, uh, the Arctic Circle in this uh, incredible, incredible sled. And, uh, oh, man, I do remember when you got uh, M, the incredible uh, person from James Bond, to come in and outfit your sled with all of the in- most incredible raccoon uh, luxury products like uh, tiny little raccoon leather chairs and tiny little raccoon martini glasses. And as you race down along the Iditarod-style thing above the Arctic Circle, you wound up uh, treating all of your little raccoon friends to a lovely, lovely uh, Arctic Galligant. Brian, I think you're leaving out an important part of the story, though, which is, of course, about how the raccoons allowed Glenn's sled to fly. Oh, yes. Oh, indeed. It it did fly very, very high in the sky. And I do remember the little uh, hand-stitched wing uh, flappy things that you gave every single one of your 15 raccoons that joined you and they were hanging out when they weren't taking breaks you know in the raccoon lounge inside the sled uh they wound up hanging out outside and flapping their tiny little raccoon arms and it was oh such a sight to see i do remember there being pictures uh if i'm not mistaken but they may surface some other time anyway as you charged along this incredible race and uh tried to win sponsorship money for your uh for your preschool and all the fame and glory that came along with that i remember you passed the incredibly well-known Jamaican bobsled team somehow uh, upon your left as you uh, zoomed past them into first place. And it was a incredibly, incredibly dramatic moment for you to uh, to beat this incredible cool runnings team that wound up uh, incredibly famous from that wonderful movie. Right. Are, and- are you are you leaving out? I think also at that time he uh, passed uh, an unusual entry in the race, which was a talking steam shovel. Is that not correct? I think that's what I remember. Oh, the talking steam shovel. How oh how could I forget the talking steam shovel? It was an incredible uh, entry into the race as well, which 
somehow just kept chugging along in the steam. And I remember somehow it was able to keep the steam hot enough to not uh, mm. freeze up in the snow, which was an incredible uh, feat of engineering as well. So how did the ra- how did that race end, Brian? I I, I don't recall the final circumstances of the uh, of the end of that race around the Arctic Circle. Well, let me tell you, Jason, and everyone else listening to this incredible podcast. As Glenn turned the corner to the final stretch of the race, passing both the shovel and the Jamaican bobsled and the Jamaican bobsled team, Glenn's preschool teacher sat there in a chair, bundled up with mittens and a fuzzy hat and a lovely coat. And as tears streamed down her eyes and froze almost immediately, she saw her incredible preschool student from, oh, those many decades ago, centuries even, if previous stories are to be believed, Hmm. as he won first place and hoisted the golden cup of the undescript Arctic Circle race. (laughs) Brian, if, if, if memory serves... That golden cup was filled with human blood. Is that not right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the the sheep were bleeding all into it. It was incredible. And the sheep had human blood somehow. I'm not sure how that happened. Were the sheep in this story before? I am confused now if the sheep (laughs) crossed over from Dan's story. (laughs) Scottish sheep are filled with preschool teacher brought all of his sheep, his beloved Glenn's warehouse sheep, Mm. right Mm. over to the winner's circle along with her. And it was such a sight to see. And to this day... The uh, the golden cup filled with sheep blood and human blood in equal parts is sitting in Glenn's preschool as we speak. And that was that was a that was a nice story. However, excellent uh, story. I do believe. Oh, thank you, thank you. I, I do enjoy that story and hearing it every time that it somehow comes up in the incomparable. But you, Jason, always edit it out. Um, Glenn, I have a few questions for you about oh, this yeah. one story. I'm sure we all know, uh, but it would be really nice to finally hear on the record from you. How you inspired Helene Despotou to invent the character of Caillou over lunch one day. That's a great story. Um, it's one that I tell all the time because, I, you know, there's this kind of mix. There's a German word for, uh, you know, <laughs> shame that you feel good about. There's, there are also – so this isn't schadenfreude, though. There, there's other words for different kinds of shame, and Caillou is a particular kind of shameful joy. There, there's something about, you know, I was walking down – the, the street one day in uh, pre-World War One France, don't ask why, and uh, I was talking to uh, my friends uh, Picasso, uh, Tristan Sara, and uh, James Joyce. Uh, we were talking about the future of the world because we thought everything was about to fall apart. And uh, we saw a small orphan boy who's coughing, who's dressed in rags. Uh, the war hadn't broken out yet, but everyone was ill and poor and starving because that's just how it was in those days. And um asked him his name. He said, Caillou. And I said, you know, um, before you die, I'll make sure you're remembered uh, just as terribly as you feel right now. Uh, you're that feeling. <laughs> I will make sure that everyone, when they hear your name, feels just as awful as you do now, because I think it's important to uh, to uh, you know ensure that that sort of misery doesn't die. And, you know, then we got through the war and most of us went to Zurich and then we lost touch after that. But I, I always had this idea in my hand until that one day in a cafe, I was, I was, uh, you know, just sitting down, uh, working Glenn, on my Glenn, memoirs. Well, I'm, I'm so sorry oh, to yes, interrupt, course, Dan, but I, yes. I believe you weren't alone at that cafe, were you not? I, I believe there was a particularly uh, notable uh, mime artist joining you that day. 
Well, Marcel Marceau was always welcome at my table, even though, you know, he was kind of a chatterbox um, off stage. It was a little bit annoying. I'm trying to write my memoirs. I'm uh, describing my days, uh, inventing the steam engine, uh, creating, teaching Blario how to make an airplane, uh, trying to hide all the traces of the Wright brothers' discoveries, you know, the usual. And uh, Marcel Marceau, you know, he's just, he goes on and on and on. So to distract myself from his conversation, I see this uh, woman sitting there making sketches of a horrible, horrible child. And I thought, ah, this is finally the moment. Maybe, maybe now is the moment in which I can inspire uh, generations of children to have the same fear and loathing for life that I saw on that on that day wandering the streets of Paris. And so I, I began talking to her, started telling her about this idea, and I could see the loathing start to well up inside her. Um, and and also the fear, who was this man talking to her? But, but eventually, I won her over to my side and gave her all my notes and uh then Glenn, I, was I hate to interrupt of but course, Brian, uh, wasn't Brian, the what weren't those original sketches of a terrible character that she was creating the original ideas for the character of damien in the omen no uh brian i hate to tell you this but in fact that was how barney got created she is not <gasps> oh! just the creator of caillou she's the creator of every uh every TV show that when you watch it with or without children present, your soul starts to leave your body. Um, it's, there's many shows. You know, Arthur didn't quite live up to the tale. Thomas the Tank Engine, surely, uh, you can see her fingerprints on it. Barney, she is sort of history's greatest monster. Uh, but you know, uh, she has the ratings, the shows get made and everyone's happy. So uh, it's hard to, um, hard to discard that. But you know, I should point out, uh, that not only did she create Caillou, she was, in fact, my preschool teacher. When I went what? to the amalgamated, the amalgamated school of uh, advanced typesetting as a child, I was a prodigy, as you know. So at the age of two, I was already not just uh, setting my alphabet in blocks in the playroom, but I was also printing with it and creating beautiful compositions <laughs> that were hanging in museums all around the world. So of course, my parents sent me, uh, it was funny, they sent me thousands of miles away. I guess that was the only place that was a good school. <laughs> That's probably I'm not it. Sure. I'm not sure. I'm just thinking about it now. But they knew of my skill, and they knew that only in the great north, uh, far away from civilization, in a, a unlit uh, room without any heat, wolves at the door, would I ever become um, the kind of virtuoso typesetter that would be required in the 21st century? Because they knew what was coming. They knew that typesetting would never die and be a career that I could. Uh, you know, take with me and uh, uh, travel all over the world and uh, perform in typesetting speed exercises, you know, like a John Henry of the modern age. And and surely that's how it's worked out. Now, too, Glenn, as you can tell. I, I, I'm unclear about some point in the timeline. So now you, you've met with your preschool teacher of, of long ago, uh, gotten at your feelings about this horror that you saw, which was Caillou. And uh, and she decides that this is going to be uh, a television series that she's going to be able to produce. Uh, at what point in the process was it discovered that Caillou grew up to be a serial killer? Well, you know, it's a funny story. <laughs> funny story. Uh, she originally envisioned uh, a character more like um, uh, the Friday the 13th Jason. Uh, <laughs> sure. and, you know, I once in college, of course, I worked with the uh, director of one of those movies. Not Peter Sagal. He wrote one of the Friday the 13th films. I worked with the director of, I think, film seven. This is true. And um, so we had this discussion one day. We we're in the Yale drama school and talking about this. And of course, it came up and she said, you know, I, I always thought that Jason would be Caillou when he grew up, even though Caillou hasn't yet been made. And I said, yes, you see delightfully into the future, my friend. And uh, when I met with Elaine, I uh, she was working on this deeper characterization. I said, the world is not ready for a child character in cartoon form, however horrible he is, 
however much loathing he inspires, to also be a serial killer. You're going to have to wait until the world is ready. And of course, that's how Dexter was made. That, that is, wow. I'm, I'm really glad Brian asked Glenn to tell that story because he tells it better than anyone. He really does. He, he was there. Wins. It's kind of the story of my life, I think. Well, it's the story of the life of someone you know. So we, we uh, as we have all told a story, a tale of Glenn, I think it is now time for us all to decide who we felt told the best story in this occasion, in this trip around the old round table where we all sit now. David, who do you think deserves your uh, applause and praise for the best storytelling? Well, I... I liked them all. I knew bits and pieces of some of them. I'm glad to finally hear them all, you know, straight out. But I I have to say, I was very impressed with the story of pineapple pizza. Because that, I mean, people people around the world hate pineapple on pizza. And it's it's wonderful to think that Glenn was responsible for that. That's, that's fair. I, I, for myself, having, you know, not being able to praise my own, uh, my own tale, which really all credit goes to Glenn, I did enjoy... Uh, Glenn's story of the origin of Caillou um, and mm-hmm. just how the horrors of of the early 20th century affected <laughs> the development of, of that of that. So I, I that, that's my choice. Dan, what uh, what story what story uh, did it for you? I am forced to concur with you that the masterful telling of Glenn's story came from Glenn uh, for for that tracing that that strange pedigree. Uh, that led us to this this terrible, terrible, uh, <laughs> tragic figure. I, I found that I found it moving. Sir, you moved me. Thank you very much, Brian. Oh, what what say you? You know, as somebody who loves horror movies and loves media that is really difficult to watch and depressing and emotionally manipulative, I've got to say, I love hearing the the origin story of one of my favorite uh, television icons, Caillou. Hmm. I've got to give it to you, Glenn. And Glenn, what story do you favor? Well, you know, um, of course, I can't vote for myself, and and I never, I would never, obviously, in any you, you game show, would. vote for myself. That would never have happened at any point in the last. That would number that would episodes. ruin it. That would be terrible. Um, but you know, Jason. In fact, I did have pineapple and uh, Canadian bacon pizza last night, and I, I thought hmm. your story moved me the most. I felt it was an accurate retelling, uh, and any story with uh, Don Ho and his tiny bubbles, um, I think, has to. Uh, I get hey, I give that the nod hey, as the best whoa. retelling of my history. I am honored to. Be the non-Glenn storyteller with the most credit <laughs> given during this phase of the uh, of the conversation, but of course, the person who deserves the most credit of all is the man himself, Mr. Glenn Fleischman. What? Bravo, Glenn! Yay! You are truly Yay! your own master. Thank you. I will share this award with the many, many raccoons surrounding me at this moment. <laughs> and thanks to everybody out there for listening and I do mean you Glenn's cousin's dentist and you Glenn's barber's ex-wife and you Glenn's kids go to bed you rapscallions you (laughs) sorry Glenn's kids until another time when we gather around the table to discuss tales of Glenn I say to you good night (laughs) 